Hey everybody, welcome to Our Percentile Vice. I'm Steve, and I'm joined tonight by the lovely Emily and the slightly sideways holding a hat so he's lovable. Exactly. John. Yep. And Cat Cam. <laughs> percentile Vice, where we love tabletop role-playing games, role-playing games in general. And here on Monday nights, we've been just geeking out, nerding out, talking about tabletop role-playing game stuff. Pretty excited about tonight's conversation. We're going to talk about Savage Worlds, a game system that is functions as a core system that then you can... <laughs> other Sorry, the cat of. was not excited for Savage Worlds. Yeah, um, please, uh, you know, those of you who have joined us, um, point out in the comments and section just how strange John looks trying to get a cat off of his lap. This channel has a long history of cat mishaps. If you look back in our clips, there's one where a cat clawed down my back. Uh, just can't have them around while we're doing things like this. Uh, well, um, it's entertaining for the rest of us. Or you have to it go is. through it, but I enjoyed watching it. So Savage Worlds. Game oh. system other than D&D, right? Because we want to explore stuff. It's particularly timely because next week we are going to have a guest on the show who is going to talk to us about developing his own game using Savage World Core System. Um, that's Table Cat Games, uh, PD Vincent on uh, Twitter. Um, but we'll get into that next week. But it's cool to, to learn about uh, new game systems. You know, I was for a long time like, eh, D&D, right? Right. We got uh, 20-sided dice. We figure everything out. Let's roll some damage. It's cool. But then we checked out Call of Cthulhu, which is a D100 system. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Different ways of handling things. So I have new interest in checking out some other uh, game systems. Plus, there's a lot of really cool games out there. I stand in front of the role-playing game section of the uh, local comic and game store and just like drool over things like oh, I want to learn how to play that that looks cool because they do really good art and a box looks great it must be a good game right right let's be so, honest our our foray into other uh, game systems has primarily been you walking into a comic book store and seeing pretty book art and taking it home to your bookshelf that has been about 60 to 80 percent of us trying new things Heroes and Villains, Russell Parkway, Warner Robins, Georgia. <laughs> right. Free shout out. Shout out. Shout out where I you know, just recently picked up Blades in the Dark because we ought to talk about that one sometime. Because rogues are um, amazing. Yes. It's like there's one class in this. It's rogues. We got a bunch of subclasses, but it's rogues. It's cool. Anyway, we digress. Savage World. Considerably different mechanics than both Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu. Uh, basically, the game works on 
skills and attributes that are rather than going up in numbers, you know, like in D and D, I got a 16 strength. Maybe I'll make it an 18 strength when we hit fourth level, I get a ability score increase. Uh, it works off of die sizes. So the basic mechanics are this. If you want to do something, then you're going to make a roll against a skill or an attribute. And assign that skill or attribute will be a die size, D4 through D12. And you're going to roll that dice and try to meet a target number. Right. Similar to a, a difficulty class, DC. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. For most everything you do, the target number is four. For every skill or attribute, it starts off at a D4. So rolling a D4, meeting a target number of four, that's going to be kind of tough. Right. So you can increase those abilities uh, through gameplay or character development, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, to higher level dice. So if I've got a D10 in strength and I need to make a strength check, I'll still be rolling against the target number four. It's now much easier because I am You increased your number on the die. In that strength. Yeah. One little thing I need to throw in there is there's always a wild dice. It's a six-sided dice. So whatever you're going to roll, you're going to roll the dice associated with your ability or your skill. And the six-sided wild wild dice. You roll them both and pick the higher of the two. So even if you only have a D4 in something and the target number for the the act is four, the D6 gives you an opportunity um, to do something with it. And one of the core mechanics of this thing is a thing, uh, I think the book refers to it as acing, um, but I've listened to some live play where they call it exploding, exploding dice. If you roll the highest number on the dice, it explodes. And you roll it again and add that to your total. If you roll the highest again, you get to roll again, right? So you could actually get like a six-sided dice, end up with a score of 22. So just so I understand that, so like let's say you have to roll a D6. You roll a D6, you roll a 6, it explodes. And then you get to roll that same D6 and add it. You roll a 5 the next time. You add that 5 to the original 6. And you, you've got an 11. Okay. Yep. I was making sure I understood that because mm-hmm. it was it's a new mechanic. It's almost like when you critical hit, you get to roll again, you know, second set of dice. Similar. Yeah. Similar. I got you. So, um, yeah, so that's the basic mechanic of the game. You have dice size that is um, assigned to each of your abilities or attributes. When something comes up in the game, you roll that die size plus your wild die and pick the higher of the two. Right. If any of them max out, roll it again and, and keep adding it until you're done, you know, exploding your dice. Uh, and then uh, compare that to the target number. Like I said, for most things, the target number is four. Like, I want to pick the lot. All right. Well, what's your... What's your skill for that? Well, I got a D4 in that skill. I'll roll a D4 and a D6, and you got to get to a four. Right? Um, 
either through character creation or character advancement, you can get higher level dice in things so you can get better. But like I said, that's the core mechanic. Roll uh, the dice assigned to that skill, roll a wild dice, pick the higher of the two, take into account any exploding dice, compare your number against the target number. Core mechanic. Simple enough. One thing that's kind of cool though is they have these things called raises. So let's say I got to make a strength check. And in strength, I got a D6. So I'm going to roll the D6 plus my wild die D6 and try to beat the target number of four for this skill, this strength check I've got. And let's say my six-sided dice explodes and I roll another one and, it, and it, it's a five. So now I got an 11 compared to that four target number. Beating a number really good, you get things called raises. So for every four you beat it by, it raises. So if I got an 11 on a target number of four, well, I beat that four by seven. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's one beat by four. The other one was three, didn't make it. So I got one right. raise. So raises give you higher levels of success against things. Or if you're in combat, raises give you extra damage dice to roll. So that's why it's good to really beat the target number. You get right. these raises. So. I have a, a question. Um, now, in the grand scheme of the people sitting here, I think I know the least about Savage Worlds, uh, just because I have not done a whole lot of research. And I, um, even if I had read it, I don't retain things unless I actually like do them. But uh, I'm hearing a lot of references to poker. Like aces, raises... So is oh, just wait. <laughs> oh, just wait. Did I did I step on a hot button? No, no. You've uh, you've keyed in early on on something. John, uh, you want to uh, you want to tip the hand on the on the other aspects that are pokerish? So I could be wrong here. I believe I read that the Savage Worlds core system is actually spun out from the Deadlands RPG. Which it's Western, so like having poker as the background of it is kind of fitting. And the initiative, instead of rolling a 20 sided dice, you will never in this system, unless you're doing something like somebody made up outside of the system it's never going to use the 20-sided dice. To do initiative, you draw cards from a deck of cards, and it goes from ace to two, and if there's a tie, it goes in reverse alphabetical order. So spade, heart, diamond, and club. And on top of that, they have things called binnies, which are basically poker chips that... Whenever you, I think it's a few different situations where you get them, but you can basically use them as a, oh shit button or a, you know, I really need this to happen here thing. And you can re-roll to hit or re-roll damage from it. Okay. That's cool. So generally speaking, every player character 
will start a game with three bennies. A benny can be used to re-roll a dice. It can be used to redraw your uh, card from the deck when we're figuring out initiative. Uh, it can be used to lessen the impact of wounds, uh, hits in combat. Uh, and then you could do things during the game. It, it's similar to awarding inspiration. Right? You could do something so awesome or so funny or great role playing or really playing up to your weaknesses. And the, and the, the game master could say, I'm going to give you a Benny for that. Um, so I, don't, I didn't know that, John. I, I didn't know uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg, Deadlands or um, Savage World. I was uh, kind of surprised when I read that, too. And at the same time, it does kind of make more sense that way because of the cards. Because when you first told me that the other day, well, not the other day, it's been a week now. But when you first told me that initiative was done on cards, I was like, why? What? I mean, it's elegant because you don't end up with ties that way, but I, it, it doesn't immediately slap me in the face like, hey, this is something an RPG should do. Yeah, but it's very so, thematic in the Deadlands game. It is. But maybe less so in the other one. Um, yeah, so when you also you leave the jokers in the deck. And if you ever get a joker as your initiative card, you get to decide to when you're going to act in the round, anytime in the round. In fact, you can do it in the middle of something or someone else's turn. That's how powerful the joker is. So the two jokers that come in a regular deck of cards, you leave them in. And also, whenever a player character gets the joker, every one of the players gets a penny. That's cool. So, it's like a special event. Right. Yeah. Wild card. Boom. I think so, I heard at least at some tables, this may not be core, but at some tables, they bring in two extra jokers to spice it tighten up. that. Yeah. I can see that because one, I think they're so cool, only being two. Let's add a few more. I could absolutely do that. The other thing is, you, uh, so let's, first of all, Every round of combat, you redraw the cards. So you're not, if you've got the best initiative, you're not going first every round like you would in Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu. Uh, every, it's the luck of the draw. It is the luck of the draw. Uh, and you don't like put the deck back together. So let's say there's four characters and there's two bad guys, right? So six cards are going to be dealt out to everybody. And that will determine the order of combat. Well, for the next round, those six cards are in a discard pile. And you keep drawing from the deck. Right? So, you know, a couple of aces and kings come out. Well, those are now off to the side. You don't use them. You keep going through this deck until, uh, I was going to say, until you reach the end of the deck or until you hit a joker when a joker comes out the next round all the cards get shuffled back in go ahead and so i was gonna say um this sounds like it's very extrapolative but like it sounds like it plays out a lot like a like a standard poker game in the way that you know you're dealt a hand it's the luck of the draw 
And then during that round, you can ante, you can raise, uh, you know, you can <clears throat> do all these things. And then it's contesting your cards against other cards. And then the next hand, it's the luck of the hand again, and you're contesting and anteing. Like, it sounds like the game plays like if the cards themselves were attacking each other and like in ba- does that make sense am i crazy yeah hear what you're saying um so i think john is on to something because there are these pokerish themes throughout the, the game system not a lot but they do recommend using poker chips to track minis and there is a deck of cards for doing it and Deadlands is probably one of their biggest games. So uh, whether they pulled pulled the core system out of Deadlands and then say, hey, you can lay anything on top of this or not, or the other way around, they built it and then built Deadlands. Uh, and then in in rewrites in second, third editions or whatever, then you know they just took some of those things. I don't know, but but it's kind of cool. Um, so overall, the mechanics uh, use dice sizes for your skills. You're rolling against a target number. It's got the deck of cards initiative system. Uh, it's got the bennies that are involved in it. Don't like the cards you draw? Spend a benny. Uh, don't like the dice roll you had? Spend a benny. Don't like the fact you just took two wounds from this Wendigo? Spend a benny. Maybe you can get rid of some of those. So, uh, that's the overall mechanic uh, of the game. Um, they, uh, according to their book, what they're trying to do was, <coughs> excuse me, make a uh, kind of a fast moving um, game, right? They didn't get bogged down in cats and wires and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to get kisses. <laughs> Who was John or the, the cat, cat? The cat. Okay. Well, John had to come hither, look in his eye. How could the cat resist? So, well, yeah. at least it's better than the dog outside carrying around half of the things we own in the yard. Just big chairs. Yeah, he's got the uh, the gutter catch now that he's traipsing around with, like he's got a prize. So. I'm going to have to go out there during break. <laughs> nice. So characters, let's talk about characters. When you're building a character in this game, um, they've got races. I think the game, the core system comes with like 12 races. They got, you know, some of your standards, elves, dwarves, um, so they don't call it halfling. They call it half something else. Um, yeah. Um, and then some, some stranger ones, like, a one based on a cat, kind of like a tabaxi, um, and some that are just a little farther out there. But one of the good things it does is it gives you a set of rules and guidelines for developing your own race. So if you want to develop a race, you know, you know, come up with a description of it. And then mechanically to keep things balanced, they tell you, you know, here, if you give this much worth of benefit to the race, you need to give this much worth of, uh, of negatives to, to the race. And there's a big chart and 
really kind of well drawn out, easy to use so that you could take your imagination, come up with any kind of race and then make sure that it's balanced to be the race, a race in the game. That's really cool. I know that in a lot of other TTRPGs, it can be difficult to, you know, create new races because of the fact that it's hard to keep them balanced, you know, and keep them from being either OP or nerfed in order to jive well. So it's nice that they kind of give you a mechanic to bridge that gap. <clears throat> right. And since they're building it as a core system, right, then they kind of had to. Because right. yeah. what world are you going to place on top of this thing? What game are you going to place on top of this core system? It may drive you to some some races that uh, that they hadn't thought of. So it's it's pretty good. So after you, you choose a, a race, then you know, you start dealing with your traits. And two things are in your traits. Those are your attributes, which think. Um, uh, your ability scores in D&D, right? they only have five attributes, and they are agility, smarts, spirit, strength, and vigor, right? Some of those pretty obvious connection, right? Vigor, you can think of like constitution, strength is strength, agility is like uh, dexterity, smarts is kind of wisdom and intelligence rolled together, and, and spirit is... And it's probably got a little bit of wisdom in there too, but it's probably um, more to uh, the effects of either using magic or being affected by magic or not affected by magic. Um, so those five things and then attributes and skills make up your traits. So um, all those attributes, skill, um, Sorry, strength, agility, vigor, those things. They all start off at a D4. All right, so make a strength check. You're going to roll a D4. But in character creation, you get five points to spend in your attributes. Each point will raise a die to the next level. So if I don't want to have a D4 in strength, I could spend one of my five character creation points and make it a D6. I can spend another one and make it a D8. And now I'm down to three. What am I going to spend it on, right? Um, so, I mean, you could raise each of them up to the D6 level, or you may decide I want to be stronger and I'm going to have something else be a dump stat. Kind of thing. Yeah. You can choose to either min-max or be more yep. spread out. You, you can't go above a D12. So your skills and your attributes can only be D4, 6, 8, 10, or 12. can't have a D20 in, in your stats. There are times when you can increase abilities or um, skills above D12, but after that, it just starts becoming pluses. So like my strength is a D12 plus 1. Okay, so you, then you just add, add pluses to it. Now the the so so those are your attributes. Then you have skills, and every one of your skills ties back to an attribute, similar to D and D, right? Um, perception is is attached to wisdom, I think, and um, athletics is attached to strength. Well, um, so there are core skills that everybody has, uh, and those are athletics, common knowledge, notice. Um, perception and stealth. 
everybody has a start out in D4. And then there are a slew of other skills. There's probably, I didn't count them up, but I paged through them all, over 50 other skills that you could, could pick from. Um, but they do roll up nicely in, like, for instance, the shooting skill covers every kind of shooting. Are you shooting a pistol? Are you shooting a rifle? Are you shooting a bow and arrow? Are you shooting a tank? And there may be some other rules about armored vehicles, but you get my point. Shooting is shooting. So there, that shooting skill would apply to all of, of those things. And then fighting skill is, is a melee thing. But you notice fighting and shooting weren't one of the five core um, skills that everybody had. That's At character creation, you get 12 points for skills to either increase those core skills or buy new skills. And when you buy a new one, you buy it at D4. So I've got 12 points of character creation. I could buy fighting, and now I'm down to 11. I could put another point in fighting and make it a D6. Now I'm down to 10 points to spend. But you get a pool of 12 points to spend on either increasing your core skills or buying uh, other skills. And there's a, a, a whole host of them. And then you can, again, if you're going to put it together a new system, you can just come up with skills that are specific to your world. Or leave so, them out. If there's no guns in your setting, you obviously wouldn't have shooting. Right. Unless there were still bow and arrows in your setting, then you'd still have shooting, but you wouldn't have it for the guns. But yeah. You might want to work that one out differently, maybe. I don't know. You could still have shooting. Never That's mind. two different skills. <clears throat> a gun is a little different than a bow, but, yeah, but I, I don't know that if there were no guns, you wouldn't really have to make that distinction, would you? I guess no, not. shooting would be really the only option. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is one of when they talked about at the very beginning of the introduction to the system, trying to make a fast-paced uh, easy game that didn't get bogged down in stuff. And so they rolled some things. In fact, when it talks about, you know, building, you know, coming up with your own skills or whatever, really ask yourself, do I need a new skill for this? Or will it fit into one of these uh, other hierarchy ones? Em, were you raising your hand? Yeah, I thought it was I wasn't raising my hand. I do have something oh. to say. Um, but we already do a lot of that, you know, like as a DM, you know, somebody has to do something that doesn't fit nicely into a skill. You kind of just like, that's close enough to a navigate, roll a navigate, you know, or so it's a lot of that same skill tree for the dungeon master or keeper or whatever they call their, their person. And uh, <clears throat> I like that. I like that it's kind of, you know, a generalized term makes it easier and you're not having to spread yourself out too thin on too many different skills, you know, handgun shooting and rifle shooting and, Right. For instance, in Call of Cthulhu, right? They're different things, right? Are you shooting a pistol or are you shooting, and, and then you have to spend your your character creation points in both of those things if you want to be good at it. And it's when you just do the one. Um, any thoughts on that, Joe? I sort of like the, the concept of using different dice instead of having to deal with the math of Okay, what do I add to this? 
it's kind of nice, but then it does eventually get to the point where you're still adding things. So it's kind of middling, but it is still cool to be able to use more than just your D20 because I think that's one of the things I like the absolute least about D&D is like there are certain damages that will be on different dice, but a lot of the time everything is a D20 and you can use math to get from A to B, but you're still going to be rolling your D20 over and over. And if you've got a shit D20 with all the luck used up in it, you're just fucked. Fucking trash. Dice jail. Yeah, so in in D and D, all those other dice really only come in if it's for damage, um, or uh, hit, hit dice. dice. In your your hit points. So, one of my favorite. This is weird that you have a favorite dice size, but I like D tens. I like D tens. They hardly ever get used. That's true. There's, there's not a lot of. It does one D ten damage. Um, there's a lot of. Four sixes and eights for damage on on weapons, but not a lot of uh, tens. Um, I think the DM probably uses it the most for running the uh, hundred, the D one hundred charts. Yeah, um, here's a hundred different uh, encounters you could have in a swampland. So roll that, or here's a hundred different trinkets. Trinkets this guy could have just found in the store. Yeah. Uh, in which case they become percentile dice. Percentile and dice. And I have a percentile dice. Maybe that's why the D tens are my favorite. So while we're talking about skills, let me let me bounce back to mechanics real quick. You can try to do a skill even if you don't have the skill. Right? So let's say you didn't buy the skill fighting. And you get into a fight. Well, you still have a chance. You'll start with a D4. You'll still get your wild dice of a D6. But anytime you use a skill that you don't have, it's at minus two. So you start with a D4 and your minus two. But you get that D6 and you get the opportunity to have exploding dice. So there's a chance. It's just way low. Way, way low. I definitely like it when systems allow you to make the crazy that shouldn't have happened play and find your bush steak. Say bush it. Steak. <laughs> right. So lots of skills. There's the core skills in character creation, right? You got your attributes, strength, vigor, blah, blah, blah. And you get five points to put in there to try and get the right ones up beyond a D4. Let me ask you this, though. How do yeah. you feel about the mental stats being lumped in together, but the physical stats being apart? Is it a more physical-based game? Um, I don't know that it is. I guess it depends on what game is put on top of it, right? Whether it's um, Deadlands or uh, Space Adventure or... Or what, uh, I guess. So first of all, let me say I did not read up enough on spirit to know if there's some wisdomy stuff in there. But I really felt like it was kind of more like uh, willpower 
um, uh, similar to power in Call of Cthulhu, right? Um, yeah. But I wasn't too upset with it, and here's why. Intelligence and wisdom, it always seemed a little difficult sometimes in like D&D &D to tell which ones should apply in certain situations, you know. Um, and so rolling them all up together, not too bad for me. And I can see a, keeping the physical ones separated a little bit, agility and, and strength, right? Because they are two vastly different things. Um, you can be a, a, a weak, small thing that is incredibly quick and dodgy. But I may just be like, hey, I think I kind of like this system, so I may just be defending it for no other reason than that. What do you think? Uh, um, without being more familiar with the system, I don't want to dog on it, but like you said, it does alleviate some of the, okay, you want to do this thing. Well, would it be intelligence or wisdom? Who knows? Pick one and roll it. Right. And that's never good. Like, it's always good to be able to hammer it down into one particular spot. But I do feel like strength and agility, like, while you can have, like, a beanpole who can nimbly make their way around things like actual Olympic level gymnasts are fucking strong. Like probably some of the strongest athletes out there just because like, if you're playing football, you're training your legs or you're training your arm or whatever, but gymnasts it's like all over. So right. we've run into some things like that all the time in B and D right. Yeah, it's an acrobatics check to parkour up a wall. Well, there's but if you don't have the leg strength, strength you know, <laughs> there's yeah. some strength involved in that. So I don't know. Maybe it would have been good to try to figure out: is there a way to to roll up? The, when we make up our you... system, we'll yeah, make we sure to address this properly. All right. So there are some derived stats, like uh, Perry. P-A-R-R-Y, you know, like in fencing thrust parry, it's a defense kind of thing. Um, parry is two plus half of whatever your fighting die is. So let's say you're at base level and fighting is a D4. Your parry is going to be two plus half the D4 is two. So your parry is four. It equates similarly to your armor class. Your parry is the number an attacker would have to beat to hit you. Okay. So, like I said, you know, most of the time the target number is four. And for inanimate things like picking a lock or, you know, um, parkouring up a wall, base number is four. But for combat, it is, you know, your fighting skill versus their parry. So if you had a D10, in fighting, that half of that is five, so your parry would be a seven. Now, somebody trying to hit you has got to be the seven when they roll their fighting die instead of that base four. So parry is similar to armor class. Is it so you roll a dice for parry if you get attacked? No. No? Nope. 
Nope, it just it's a flat number. Half okay. of your die five for D10 plus two, so seven. It's a seven. Now you're gonna attack me. You've got to roll whatever your fighting die is and your wild die. But now the number you gotta beat is seven, not four, because you gotta beat my parry number. So it's very similar to armor class. Okay. I kind of like the way it takes your fighting ability into it and not just, you know, like your dexterity uh, or the armor that you're wearing. Having said that, I do have to say you it's possible you have some armor, right? So you could be my parry is seven plus two, and that's what the armor adds to it. But you keep the numbers separately because they already foreseen that some uh, settings you're in could have things like armor piercing rounds. In which case, ignore the plus two. You're only going after the seven. So, so armor is still in there. But, you know, in D&D, the basis uh, besides your armor, the basis of your armor class is your dexterity. You know, your ability to dodge, duck, and weave away from, from fighting. I kind of like the way they put your fighting skill in there as part of the defensive calculation. It's interesting. I think I I don't have a problem with it. So you have a really high agility character, and then you'd be like, why is it this accounted in my parry? Well, I mean, yeah. it would be factored into your fighting skill. If Well, I guess not. You wouldn't have to, because you... Could you have your fighting skill be derivative of your agility? No, not from what I understand, because you're using skill points to buy those dice. So you buy a D4. But yes, so every skill is tied back to one of those attributes: agility, strength, vigor, spirit, smarts. All I can tell right now is the only reason for that is you can't ex- you can't advance a skill past. The agility, or past the ability score, the attribute. So let's say your fighting skill is based on strength, and you got a D8 in strength. You can't get fighting past D8. There are some rules about how you could get, um, like with uh, hindrances or edges, but but basically speaking, you would want to try to increase the the strength skills so that any of the skills that are, I'm sorry, the strength attributes, so any of the skills based on it can then be built up to that level. So they, your your attribute score becomes a cap on how far you can get the skills up. Which makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. So it's not just, you know, dumping it in there and never actually getting better at your base skill. You have to improve that base skill. I kind of like that it's not free too. You just because you're strong doesn't mean you're good at throwing things necessarily. You could be able to pick something up off the ground by being <coughs> strong, but if you've never thrown anything, you can't go take the mound against the Dodgers and expect good things to happen. Yep, and I believe I read somewhere since you pointed out, right? Throw is a different skill than shooting, right? So if you're tossing spears, shooting doesn't work work for you. But if you're shooting a bow, it does. Whereas in like 
D&D, hey, as long as you're proficient in the weapon, they're both going to look back at your dexterity score to, to see what your plus to hit is. Um, so, you know, you were talking earlier about was the shooting category too broad? Just wanted to point out that not all missiled weapons are in there. If it's thrown, then you got to have a different skill for that. The other, one of the other uh, derived st stats is your toughness. Think hit points here. Um, so your toughness is two plus half of your vigor die. So, you know, we talked about vigor as one of the attribute scores um, similar to constitution. So it's a pretty direct correlation to D&D there. So if my attribute of vigor was on a D8, half of that would be four. I'd add two to that, two plus half my vigor die. So I'd get six. My toughness would be a six. And generally speaking, that's kind of the number of wounds you can take before going down and be at risk of bleeding out. So you're not tracking 70 or 80 hit points and things aren't going up as fast. Your ability to take damage isn't going up as fast as it does in D&D, but it's not staying constant like it does in Call of Cthulhu, right? You could build up your uh, your vigor score and then get a, a better toughness. It's not a lot of tracking hit points. Again, remember they wanted to kind of make this smooth flowing, quick, down and dirty, right? If somebody hits you, they cause a wound. Maybe, maybe they did so good on their dice roll that they got one of those raises I was talking about. So maybe they're gonna gonna inflict two wounds, right? So there is damage dice. You roll the damage, but you're rolling against the toughness. So let's say you have a toughness of eight. I did a fighting skill. I hit you because I beat your parry score. Uh, then I roll my damage dice, and we're going to compare that to your toughness. And if it's below your toughness, you didn't take anything. If it's over your toughness, um, you might be stunned. If I got a raise and did your toughness plus four, then it's a wound. And if I got really good and did two raises, maybe you're taking two wounds. Um, so it's not... Seven plus three hit points from this shot and 17 hit points from that shot and, and tracking it down. It's really kind of condensed. It's a, um, here's a toughness score. Your damage has to beat that for you to, to touch me. If you beat it by a lot, then I take a little bit more damage. Um, and then I think it's four wounds is what people can take. I think this is the one thing that <clears throat> when I was doing my research on it, immediately made me back up and be like i what because the way it was being explained was if you have the number met with no raises and you are not shaken then you are now shaken if shaken. you are shaken you are shaken and take a wound and yeah. I think one of the problems with TTRPGs is getting four people who can show up on a particular day who know the system, know the rules, and can just sit down and play 
And this was something that immediately struck me as finding four people to learn this method of combat is probably not going to be super easy because it it doesn't give me the impression that it wouldn't play badly, but there definitely looks to be a pretty steep learning curve for knowing when to soak, when you're shaken, and when to stir and yeah are you cooking so, or playing a game yeah. i don't know that's the problem so i had the i had the same general thought as you john that and i had to back up and read it right uh again uh, i'm glad you remembered the shaken word because i couldn't remember a minute ago but basically the progression is you're shaken one wound, two wound, three wound, four wound. That's the progression. Um, a, a thing that hits you, but doesn't do a whole bunch, but just barely beats your toughness score, causes you to be shaken. Uh, and then another hit like that would move you to one wound. And then another hit like that would move you to one wound. Sometimes you get hits that are so good that they're going to move you two spaces along that timeline. Um but I, I get it. But I think back to when we were first looking at D&D and 5e, right? There is a combat learning curve there. Uh, and you just have to chunk through it for a couple of sessions and then it starts being better. And then you get a new person that comes in and it's all second nature to the rest of us. And so we're just like, just add your dexterity to that. And that person's going, where is that on the sheet? You know, I think that's one thing 5e definitely improved on compared to 3.5 is streamlining that aspect of combat, even though combat in 5e is still pretty uh, complex in some ways. Not complex, time-consuming, I think is a better word. It's not that hard to figure out. It just takes a lot of time to go through all the steps. And there are so many different ways to inflict damage or deflect damage, that it seems like there's a whole bunch of rules applying there. After you get your head around it, you realize it's all the same rules mechanic, just different flavor coming in, you know. It's a ranged spell attack, and that uses this modifier versus that modifier, or it's a sword which uses your strength. Unless it's a rapier, then maybe you could use your decks, right? So it seems all complex. Um, but at the heart of it, and I think that's what getting your head around it is, is realizing that, oh, it's all the same thing. It just sounds, looks, and written up differently in this aspect and that. But for the new, it's like I just learned how to freaking swing a sword and calculate the damage, and now I've got a cantrip. What do I do with this? There are a couple others uh, they call derived stats, but there's not a lot of derivation going on here. Pace, which is basically your speed, um, and they say it's they've written it for tabletop gaming. Six inches. That's how far your standard figure can move on the tabletop. <laughs> six inches. I told her it was six inches. 
Uh, Hold on. Let me see if I can make this smooth. <laughs> I also did hear that it was a system that was much more suited for miniatures than theater of the mind. Yeah, so reading this, I, I thought the same thing, but I have watched a, um, a YouTube channel where they're playing Deadlands, and the, it's all theater of the mind, and they make it work. Um, but I, I think it's the same problem with D&D theater of the mind. I got 30 foot of movement. Well, if we're all just picturing this in our head, really, the, the dungeon master is the only one that knows can you get there or not. And... Uh, I think one of the good things about theater in mind for a dungeon master is like, well, do I want him to be able to get there this time? I'm sorry, the guy's 35 feet away, right? But with tabletop, it's pretty static. It's right there. There's no more uh, bluffing that shit. But basically, your movement is six inches, which is six squares on the tabletop thing. Um, that may be affected by uh, hindrances or edges or um, you know other things, powers or whatever you get in, in the game. But basically for everybody starts off at, at six, there might be a racial thing to that. There might be um, a hindrance or an edge thing that, that adjusts that a little bit, you know, like, Jesus, John. What? Dwarves have 25 feet of movement. Humans have 30 feet of movement. Um, Dwarves yeah. have three inches. <laughs> You're a terrible person, John. And I love you. So that's generally how uh, pace goes. And then size is like everybody is a size zero. Unless something else in your character creation modifies that some. So basically everybody's a medium-sized creature unless racial modifiers or other modifiers affect that. Again, remember this is strength striving to be a core system that you build anything on top of. So it makes sense to do it that way. Starting is everybody's the same size and so now adjust from there. Um, based on length and girth. That was for your job. <laughs> so um, that's basically how you figure out what your traits are, right? Your, your attributes and your skills. When you're starting off with character creation, all your attributes start at a D4 and you get five points to spend to beef them up. On your skills, everybody starts with, uh, you know, six basic skills, athletics, common knowledge, I'm sorry, five different skills, notice, persuasion, and stealth, and those start at a D4. You get 12 points to beef those up or buy other new skills like fighting. You better buy fighting because um, you don't want to have a D4 minus two when the lowest you could ever be up against is a Target number of four. That's generally how it goes. Now, when you're building um, building your character, probably before you even get into how you're going to do your skills, you need to look at this thing called hindrances. Um, 
and think of D&D flaws, but with a much bigger mechanical impact, not just a role play impact, um, and the ability to add a lot of role play to the impact uh, as well. So we're about to get into hindrances, but I just want to say so far, what I've looked through really makes me want to play a Savage World uh, based game. Um, and towards the end, I'm going to tell you about some of the games that are there. Surprisingly, some that I had heard of um, besides Deadlands, which I've become very familiar with. Uh, but we'll talk about those in a minute. But generally speaking, uh, M, where, where are you at on this? You're like, eh, okay, that's cool. Let's go play some D&D. Or is it like, eh, I think I might want to go there. So I'm still um, I'm still on the fence because we haven't gotten to the part that matters the most to me. I'm a really hands-on learner. Like you guys could explain this to me six more times, and it's like that. The, the following day, you're gonna be like, "Okay, so how does it work?" I'm gonna be like, "No idea. I have no idea." Um, but my bigger questions are about like the atmosphere of the game and some of the, you know, like how. D&D is a lot of like combat heavy while uh, Call of Cthulhu is investigation and suspense heavy. And I'm kind of wondering where it fits in. Like, what is it? You know, so I don't think I don't think they have hammered down a particular like this is a combat focused game or this is a role playing focused game. They want you to be able to do everything depending on what sort of system you design to go on top of it. Yeah. yeah and I was just kind of, you know, like D and D has like a stylistic choice of like the kind of world that you would normally see it in. Call of Cthulhu has a stylistic choice of the world you would normally see it in. And that's not to say that you can't do whatever you want with the system, but I was also wondering if Savage Worlds has a kind of, core stylistic choice it feels very cowboy to me but that may just be my personal prejudice and it may be because that's the savage world game system or game setting that i'm most familiar with and maybe john's most familiar with um but we'll talk about some of that but i think you're going to be a little disappointed until we get to the well, let me show you some of the games that are the settings that are laid upon this core system. Um, so hindrances. This part I love. I love the hindrances because it is character flaws that matter beyond role playing, but also give you role playing um, capabilities. So by the book. And I'm gonna read to you a minute. You know, I, I hate doing that, so I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it look like this is just me waxing poetic and not reading, but it's gonna sound like a read. Hindrances are character flaws and physical handicaps that occasionally make life a little tougher for your hero. Some hindrances have actual game effects. Others, more subjective role-playing hindrances, help you understand and role-play your character. Um, so. Uh, it's both, right? In in D and D, you get a flaw if you you work the backstory thing, and uh, you get a flaw. Okay, so that's something for you to role play. 
Here, hindrances may actually impose negatives on roles or uh, adverse effects on you in the game just by virtue of having them, uh, whether you decide to role play or not. Uh, here's how hindrances basically work. At the beginning of the game, in character creation, you're going to take hindrances that equal up to four points. A major hindrance is worth two points, and a minor hindrance is worth one point. So you could take four minor hindrances, or you could take two major hindrances, or a major hindrance and two minor hindrances, um, whatever you want to do. Those four points, and this is why you kind of do this before skills, um, they earn you points that you can spend either on skills buying or upgrading or buying a thing called edges. We'll get to that in a minute. So hindrances and edges. So here's an example of a hindrance. This is a minor hindrance. It's called all thumbs. Due to upbringing, lack of exposure, or pure bad luck, some individuals are all thumbs when it comes to mechanical or technological advices. This inflicts a minus two penalty when using mechanical or electrical devices. All right, so there's a minor hindrance that is going to have an actual in-game effect. Um, but it gets you one point to spend in skills or buying um, edges. Here's a good example of a major one. This is arrogant. Your hero, hero doesn't think he's the best. He knows it, right? Whether it's sportsmanship or painting, he's the best at it. Now, he goes on to explain this arrogant one. Like, if you're in combat, the arrogant one is looking for the biggest bad in the in the group of enemies. And, like, they're just trying to get through the little guys to get to the big guy because he's the arrogant one that, that can beat him. That major hindrance has no minuses for in-game. It is all role-play. There are a list of, I don't know, probably um, several dozen hindrances. Uh, clumsy, major hindrance. Um, blind, major hindrance. Bad eyes, uh, a minor hindrance, right? Um, blind gives you a minus six to all physical tasks that require vision. Why would you take that? Well, you can have fun role-playing that, but it also has an in-game effect. But at the beginning, you have to pick some weaknesses for your character. And you're going to pick enough that add up to four points. Um, again, majors are worth two points, minors are worth a point apiece. Um, and then you can spend those to get better in skills or to buy edges. Um, just to give you a couple more, just for feel. Uh, can't swim, minor. Um, clueless, major. Uh, some of them, like delusional, could be minor or major, and you get to decide how you want to scale it. Uh, but so, like in D and D and character creation, you get a flaw. But here, you're going to get ones that actually are going to have some in-game 
aspects to them, negatives to roles or whatnot, but also give you something to role play. And then that's where you get your points for edges. And for edges, think feats in D&D. &D. So uh, you can actually take more than the four points worth if you want, but you can't get more than four points out of it. So why would you do that? Other than you've got a concept of a character that you want to build and you're going to, you're going to put it together. For the cool uh, factor. That's it, right? So because you're you're into the role playing part of it in developing this character, and maybe uh, you know John wants to build a character and he wants to make him the, the spitting Im image of Nicholas Cage. He's <laughs> well, then probably, there would be no flaws. He's. I was going to say he's going to have to pick more than four points worth of hindrances. Like um, can't act, minor hindrance. Um, not nearly as attractive as he thinks he is. Major hindrance. <laughs> John's not going to get you a birthday present now. <laughs> so, um, and then there are rules here for developing hindrances based on the setting you would set on top of this game system. And so, let's say we're going to make a sci fi setting, we could come up with hindrances that are more. Uh, uh, attuned to that setting, um, unnatural fear of losers or something. So, yeah, the dog agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, he's agreeing with somebody about something out there. So, hindrances, negative aspects to your character, you got to take some, it gives you some points to spend to improve your character. Uh, flaws that have mechanical downsides as well as uh, role-playing uh, feed. What do you think, John? I definitely like the hindrances thing. I'm pretty well-versed in video games, and there are a lot of video games that do that sort of thing really well. Like you, with one hand the game giveth and with one hand the game taketh away and that's always a cool thing like in the elder scrolls you can choose to become a vampire and it gives you some cool stuff but it also makes you vulnerable to fire damage and depending on the actual game settings of it you may have trouble in the daytime outside or stuff like that i think it's Pretty cool for the realism of the game. Not that like stark realism is super important in TTRPGs, but to help get yourself immersed in a character, unless you are playing just the uh, the pinnacle of something like Nicolas Cage, you're going to want to have some flaws. <laughs> right. So Emily, you know, you were talking about you wanted to, you know, see where this thing would go as far as, um, you know, the setting and and uh, whether it leaned more towards role play and investigation or, or, or combat. Yes. Um, so the hindrances, forced flaws onto your character. Some of them are very role play heavy. Some of them 
are role play plus mechanical uh, effect. Um, but you got to take some of them, right? So you can't make this perfect paladin. Yeah, no, I love that. That's my jam. 5e, that's my favorite thing they've added was like the backgrounds and the claws. Um, like, to me, that just makes it so much, and it gives you such a good role-playing thing that you can just be like, you know, I am undead, and therefore, you know, the paladin can sense me no matter what we do. Like, it's, I love that, and how it kind of just organically changes the way you interact with not only the NPCs or the storyline, but your players as well. Like, it's great, and I'm very excited about the hindrances. I'm probably the kind of person who would take more than the four I would needed to because I'm like, you know, this one just this just fits like it's aesthetically correct. <laughs> and, and there are some in here that are basically only role play driven, right? So you could load up a couple extra of those because it rounds out the character you're trying to build without unduly killing killing yourself. Um, now. I like them. I think it's cool. Right? Perfection is impossible. Uh, when in, in role playing, you know, I, I don't. I don't know about you, but for me, you know, like I'm always trying to make my guy the the, the baddest dude in, in place. Uh, you know, my ego is such that my character always needs to be the face of the party. I've always got to have the best attacks. I got to do the coolest maneuvers. Um, so it's real easy, even though I love that aspect of, of 5e, too, that they added the backgrounds and the flaws. It's real easy to just kind of, you know, forget to role play your flaws. But it's kind of integral to the character creation here. However, here's one drawback I can see. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a hindrance as an example. And then I'm going to tell you what I think one of the drawbacks could be. So there's a hindrance called pacifist. It could be a minor or a major hindrance. Your hero absolutely despises violence. Minor pacifism means he only fights when given no other choice and never allows the killing of prisoners or other defenseless victims. Major pacifists won't fight living creatures under any circumstances. They may defend themselves, but won't do anything to permanently harm sapient living creatures. Uh, they may use non-lethal methods, but only in self-defense or the defense of others. All right. Pretty cool. You can make a pretty cool character after that. But you know what I'm what I'm thinking could be the drawback of hindrances? And that is that age-old saying, that's what my character would do. Right? Some of these... Could just that's kill one that, table. <laughs> yeah, that's one that probably whoever's running the game would have to enforce too, because right. you get points for it, so you're gonna have to be that pacifist, right? Um, but you know, those players at your table who are going to, you know, sometimes when it's absolutely right to say that's what my character would do, and then there are sometimes where that statement just seems to be an excuse for disruptive, right? disruptive or non-cooperative behavior. Yeah. Um, like a lot of times we see it as, well, you know, my character would do this. So I'm going to go be a complete dick to my party members and not be part of the story. You're not, you know, be a team player. But then there are also times like, uh, 
in the salt marsh campaign where my character came face to face with a person who killed her mom and she knew she was supposed to like do this thing for the task and leave and just go about her business she was but i was i looked at you and i was like i can't i can't not do something i have to do something and i attacked him and i think i like either died and got revived or nearly died <laughs> but i it was remember in- also in the salt marsh campaign you crawled up a ladder and pulled the ladder up behind you and died to what were they strixes bat uh, yeah they're little bat monsters um something like strix um yeah well that was that was not so much what her character would do that was what emily would do yeah that was, just, was me it was just dumb in that situation yeah but what i do like you know to your point in um or maybe it was sean but you know, if, if you've got a, a player who took pacifist, uh, then it, it goes you know willy nilly swinging and stuff. The DM can go, um, no, uh, you didn't. Just and I feel like you would have to. You you would have to right. So, um, so I think they can be really great role playing there. But then I'm picturing somebody sitting there who ignored all this part about they could defend themselves or defend others or use non-lethal means and sit back and say, well, I'm not I'm not getting in this fight because my character's a pacifist, even though my whole party's about to die because that's what my character would do, right? They just so, spread eagle like, bring it to me, daddy. Wow. Okay. Um so there's another one called Ruthless. <laughs> I, I like how he passed. John will take the the major Ruthless uh, hindrance, but so that's another one that doesn't doesn't have a mechanical aspect to it, minus two to this or plus four to that or whatever. But it is a little more than just a role playing guide, right? Because as you pointed out, a DM would have to hold. Uh, the player to that that hindrance. So. Our dogs and the neighbor dogs are having a long discussion, and I apologize for the amount that you're able to hear it. Uh, it's, we can hear it, but it's it's background noise. It is not interfering with uh, with my enjoyment of things. If anybody in chat hates dogs and wants to say something bad, go right ahead. They can ahead. get the fuck out. <laughs> we don't hate dogs here. No, I keep going and settling them down for a few minutes. I'm sorry. That's good. So that's uh, that's hindrance in a, in a nutshell. Uh, here's a couple more. Tongue tied is a major hindrance. Um, flubbing cool lines probably uh, have minuses on uh, negative penalties to intimidation, performance, or persuasion. Yellow. Here's another one where it kind of has that. Did this start with the Deadlands? Right, a hindrance called yellow. Now, if it was actual Deadlands, it would be yellow. Yeller, yeller. No, nobody calls me chicken. (laughs) So um, you can make Marty McFly. (laughs) You could. Um, So. So those are hindrances in a nutshell. Negative stuff for your character, great for role-playing, has a mechanical in-game effect beyond just role-playing. 
um, makes your character more real to me. Um, but the other thing you get by taking those is some points to spend to increase your skills or to gain edges. So loosely correlated, think of edges as like feats. Um, they are really what you would use to build your character. Right. So I knew I wanted to be good and strong and everything, but there could be somebody else that has exactly the same uh, ability scores as me and uh, skill scores, skill dice as me, but we choose different hindrances, I'm sorry, different uh, edges to give totally different looks to it. That's, uh, that's my dog. He's a little weird. <laughs> He's British. British. Somebody put on the kettle. <laughs> yeah, that was the teapot. Nice. Now I want a cup of tea. <laughs> right. All I have is my Cthulhu mug. My thing. Nice. So uh, hindrances are where you can really start to give flavor um, to your character. Um, this is, like I said, similar to feats, but you could also think about it as as um, class, right? This is how I'm going to kind of wedge it into a stereotype type class. You can get edges, one, from those hindrances that you use. Um, some, some races give edges, and then during character advancement, you could get uh, more edges. They're broken up into some, some categories, uh, combat edges, leadership edges, professional edges, right? So that's where kind of occupation comes in as opposed to, to class. Um, social edges, weird edges, which is where they throw all the stuff that would be fantastical or uh, magic-like um, edges, uh, and then legendary edges. <laughs> Every time I think about something being weird, it reminds me of a story from Mick Foley's book where he basically walked Mick in Foley one time. as in Mankind. And, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Somebody had asked him, like, who are you the most afraid of expecting him to say like Andre the Giant or some big buff wrestler dude? And he was like, but I think it's my roommate in college who I walked in on naked on the floor, sitting Indian style, eating brownies. And I just wonder what kind of weird edge that would give you. Stoner's clarity. I think you're ready to build your own game setting, Emily. That's good. Stoner's clarity. Yeah. We there all know that being stoned like makes everything else kind of stupid, but up in here, everything is like crystal. But what if he wasn't stoned? He was stoned. You're not going to tell me somebody's sitting naked. No. <laughs> Listen to what you said. Do you not sit naked and do things? No. No, I don't, but I didn't go to college. <laughs> I didn't either. That doesn't stop me from being naked and doing fun stuff. I know, and Dad's getting really tired of it. <laughs> I did go to college. 
I have eaten brownies. I have sat on the floor naked. I've never sat on the floor naked eating brownies. But I did have a couple of roommates walk in on me on you know in opportune time. Um, so edges. Edges sometimes have prerequisites, like maybe your strength has to be above a certain thing, or you have to be at different levels of, of your character uh, advancement. Um, and if you're going to take like the uh, the power edges, which is think spells, um, then you had to have taken an arcane background edge. So this is how magic would come into play. If you built a setting that had magical stuff, it is through the edges and the powers um, that you would set a character up to be able to use magic and then um, get the, the different powers by having uh, arcane background as one of its edges. But uh, fighting edges, leadership edges, social edges, um, they're all... They're all in there. So it's like feats. It's like classes. It's like spells. It's all kind of rolled up in there as a base system. Then you can build anything on top of it, right? So you could build a, you know, let's take the, the um, Deadlands setting. Right? They have a uh, persona type that is called the huckster. Um, so you can take the huckster background um, and that, yeah, can everybody just hear me knock my notes all over the floor? I don't know what to say anymore. My notes are gone. Some no. huckster came and took them. Right. When um, you said huckster, my brain went to huxtable and I just kind of went off on a weird tangent. Oh boy. Yeah. Not Huck Finn. No, With that movie Jonathan Taylor Thomas back in the day. It's good. Uh, no, that's not where my my brain went. Yeah. So, so, um, I'll give you a couple of uh, couple of the edges. So you know you've got uh, background edges. Things like uh, arcane resistance, attractive, brave, um, and you have combat edges like block and improved block. This is where it's, you're talking about um, the the hindrances. John reminded you of some video games where you know you would take a little like. So in the edges, there's block and then improved block. And, and guess what a prerequisite of improved block is? Block. Particular hindrance. Block. Oh, block. Right. That makes more sense. Yeah. I thought you'd be right there with me. Um, so there's brawler and then bruiser. And to get the bruiser edge, you have to have already had the brawler edge. Um, the fighter increases toughness, an additional plus one. Um, so dodge. Double tap sounds like a cool, uh, cool edge. You've got to be a seasoned, which is one of the levels of character advancement, and you got to have a shooting that's a D six or, or better. Um, 
and it allows you to fire two shots in rapid succession without spoiling the aim, not taking a, 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 a negative to your your attack by doing multiple shots. Um, then professional edges like I'm sorry, leadership edges, command, tactician, uh, inspire. Right? So, um, you know, some of these are very feat-like, right? Um, from D&D, you know, inspired allows you to buff up the folks around you in, in certain ways. So, um, professional edges, things like investigator, acrobat, assassin, jack of all trades, right? So you could take your edge and put it in something because you wanted to build a character that was, uh, I don't know, like uh, half spy, half gadget man. There's an edge called MacGyver. You know, you're going to have uh, smarts and a D6 and, um, uh, or uh, notice at a D8 and repair at a D6. Right? So you have to have several prerequisites to get the MacGyver feet and it gives you a lot of stuff. Success you can create minor explosives, large explosives, and other things. Mister Fix It, Thief, and Woodsman are all other professional uh, edges. Um, taking the Woodsman would give you like plus two to survival rolls and stealth rolls made in the wild. So, uh, I can keep going through them, but you get the idea, right? Yeah buffs for your character that allow you to build the character out you see it. Like everything else, this core set of rules gives you guidance on how you would create edges or hindrances particular to your world. The setting you wanted to build it and put on, put on top of it. So like in the Deadlands setting, I know that you know one of the edges they have is born in the saddle. Right, just really good at, at, at riding horses. Um, the uh, can't remember uh, a hindrance off the top of my head from, from that setting, but um, the weird edges. So, weird is a common phrase throughout here, like Deadlands. The subtitle is The Weird West. And they've got a setting that is based around either World War One or World War Two, and it's weird wars. Right, so it's like you can take a setting and then add some magic to it, um, like you know, aliens versus cowboys, Deadlands. So, um. Emily, do you remember that uh, perk in New Vegas where it was wacky wasteland and? If you took it, it would put random encounters that were like aliens and I do other crazy things in there. My I brain first, like yeah, I do too. My brain first when you started saying I was talking, thinking about the Black Widow perk where you know if you were a woman, you were like better at talking to men because you like had all these extra things to be able to kill them. But yeah, <laughs> right. So um, just because it's more important than anything, I was about to say, um, chat has wished Mac a happy birthday. Um, so don't forget. I saw worry. that. I will. You're probably going to hear, hear most of what I just said because I had my mic way up at the 
No, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you just fine. You can literally have that mic at your forehead and we can hear you. And it either says a lot about my mic or a lot about my voice. I'm like, the reverberation chamber up here. That was not called for. Your your voice comes across a little shinier up there. <laughs> so um, I think the, the hindrances and the edges are really where your setting can influence the game, right? I mean, I could draw a map and say we're in the West and here's a little town and there's the marshal's office. But adding the hindrances and the edges to it can start to make it feel more like the, the Wild West. Um, and adding the weirdness to it can make it feel more like Cowboys versus Aliens or whatever. So I don't know. What do you think, Emily, the, the, the positives and negatives of hindrances and edges, how that all works out to build characters and make the action in, in a Savage World setting? I like it a lot. Um, I think that it's nice that one of the things that I don't like about D&D is like, like the backstories that come with like these built in like choose your things. Yeah, you can go through and pick your own flaws and your own bonds, but they don't necessarily jive well. I like the fact that it's not constructed so seriously. Like I can pick and choose hindrances and they don't conflict with each other. They just kind of build and... um the only thing about edges, which I, I mean, I like them quite a bit to me. They sound like a very cool mechanic is that every time you've said it, all I can think about is making like an edge Lord rogue that just like, and it, every time you've said edges, my brain went edge Lord. And um, that's all I want to do now. It's just like, like the super edgy flawed uh, rogue. So, but no, I think it's great. I think it's a really cool way to kind of cherry pick personality traits and how your person fits into the greater world without sacrificing like you're going to be less strong you're going to be less smart which is a lot of like in D&D there's a lot of that where you know if you don't have a lot of strength and you're not going to have these skills and it takes that away from you you can be smart and still have a a, 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 a hindrance that will allow you to not be good with mechanical things like it doesn't tie back to everything has to fit into your skill points and your ability modifiers that allows you to kind of have that and earlier I didn't get a chance to say it but y'all were talking about <clears throat> John brought up how all of the like cerebral skills are kind of pulled together and I wanted to say like I thought that it was actually really cool because like the three people sitting across the screen are all intelligent people but if you put the same problem in front of all three of us probably only one of us is going to figure it out, right? So measuring intelligence is really biased. <laughs> it's probably not going to be me, I'll be honest with you. Uh, uh, but so making intelligence kind of more vague means that you can be smart in certain aspects and not be a genius. And I think that that's a really cool mechanic, whereas strength is strength. And while it's applied differently in a lot of ways, you know, you either are strong or you aren't, but saying you are smart or you're not is far too linear for what intelligence is. And I know that's like way far back an hour ago, but I didn't get to chime it in then. Thought I'd chime it in now. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody. You walked outside, the dog whispered that brilliancy to you and you came back in here and presented it as your own idea. Yeah. Gov is wise beyond his 13 years. So how about you, John? 
Where are you thinking about the hindrances and edges as a way to build out your character and how it works in well, a mechanical stuff? So, uh, yeah, that thing. I, uh, I'm a big fan of feats. Like, that was one of the things that in 5e I find lesser than 3.5 because in 5e you have to pick are you taking the character or the ability score or are you right. taking a feat and it felt like in 3.5 you were going to get them feats anyway so you were like shopping around like ooh what if i got this one i could do this this and this and planning out your build right mm -hmm. yeah i'm going to take that at fourth level and then at eighth level i'm going to take this one and now i'm going to be a badass yeah. A lot of the time in 5e, you really want that ability score until you've maxed out your primary and sometimes the secondary too. So a lot of people don't end up taking feats. So it's kind of wasteful to put a lot of thought and effort into it. And I kind of like that this sort of includes it from the get-go. And when you advance characters, do you get new edges and new hindrances or are they static? Yeah, so that's uh, the next thing I was going to talk about right after this. So um, let me do one closing piece uh, on, on the hindrances and edges. Um, I like that this system is not class-based, but gives you these things that if you wanted to make a character focused on a particular profession or, or, or ability, that you could do that. But like in Call of Cthulhu, you can kind of spread the, the wealth around and be good at several different things and make a more well-rounded character. Uh, granted, D&D allows you to multi-class, but it's, it's just... It's not the same. It's not. I so, really enjoy the non-class-based games, too. I'm finding that I think that's the one thing I don't particularly like about D&D. The classes seem pretty limited, even though they're bridging gaps by putting subclass features in in a, such a way that they're not particularly limiting. But by that same token, you're going to have to buy five million books to be able to have all of them. But, yeah, when you think about D&D, &D, right? If there was a version of D&D &D that was not class-based, they could take all of those things that your class gets at third level, fifth level, sixth level, and your subclass gets at fourth level, subclass, whatever they are. Right? And they can just lay them all out there. And similar to, you know, one of those big skill trees you see in a video game, you could just add different things. Now, some of them will necessarily have prerequisites, right? I, I couldn't grab freaking, um, spell sniper if I didn't have something magical ability. Spell casting abilities. Right, right. So I didn't choose that thing. But and you could just open it all up and say, here it is. And and you could take these wild-ass paths through the, the traits and features and skill advancement um, just using what D&D what &E already has. It would just be a small work of figuring out which things would we now need to tag prerequisites to? And, just and how should out. they be weighted? And, like yeah, there are some totally. things that maybe you could bundle a couple things together. And there are some things that like, this is what you get. 
but it's good. Yeah. So. And I think games that don't have classes spend more time talking or thinking about um, where prerequisites need to be. Now, D&D does have prerequisites, but, you know, it's like a particular feat is a, you know, prerequisite is being a gnome. You know, here's another feat, the prerequisite is being a spellcaster. Um, but you could you could just open it way up. So non-class based games. Since we got into Call of Cthulhu, I'm I'm all about them. Right, I can build something that is just totally original and totally what I want to play right here without being constrained, um, unnecessarily constrained by you are a fighter, act like it, you know. So so advancement. So it's it's kind of level based. Um, you can do it. Basically, the game master gets to decide when character advancement is going to happen. Um, now you can set it up to where there are milestone-like things. So if you set up a campaign, you can say, you know, when they get to Bum Garden, um, then they're going to have an advancement. When they get past the ogre, they're going to have an advancement, whatever it is. Or, you know, this, the the book suggests, you know, hey, if you're doing a one shot, maybe give a character advancement halfway through. Uh, if you're doing a, a short campaign that's going to be like, you know, 10 sessions or fewer, uh, maybe doing a character advancement after every session. And if you're going to do really long campaigns and maybe do them after every three or four sessions or longer, if, if that makes sense. Um, so. They left a lot of leeway there, but I think you kind of got to if you're building a core system <coughs> that you want to let folks build build off of. But when you hit character advancement, um, it lets a character do one of the following. Uh, but remember, no trait can be raised past a D12. But so on advancement, you can do one of the following: gain a new edge. Right, so your question was about edges, right? So when you advance, I you can go grab a new edge. You can increase a skill that is equal to or greater than its linked attribute. So you remember I told you before, like a skill based on strength could never get higher than the die level of strength. Well, in character advancement, you could take one that's equal to it and bring it up. But remember, you only get to do one of these things. So gain an edge or increase a skill that is equal to or greater than the uh, the attribute that it's linked to. Or you can increase two skills that are lower than their linked attribute. Or you can increase one of your attributes by a die size. So you can take that D8 strength and make it a D10. Or you can permanently remove a minor hindrance. And along those lines, you could actually save up your uh, your advancement and wait till the next time and use it to remove a major hindrance. Now, I really like that because you know you got some options, but you don't get to be be good at everything. The last one I didn't particularly care for, but that's because I like the hindrance idea so much. And by using those hindrance, you got points to buy buy edges, but 
Uh, it does say, you know, um, with the GM's permission, yada, yada, yada. But um, so those are the things you could do when it hits character advancement. Gain a new edge, increase a skill uh, above the die type of the link attribute, or increase two skills, or increase one of your core attributes, agility, smarts, strength, those things, by one die type, or get rid of a minor hindrance. That's what you do. So advances one through three, put you at a, a rank of novice, right? So you're going to start off as a novice and your first advance, let's say you decided to gain a new edge. Your second advance, you decided to increase a skill. Your third advance, uh, you increased your strength. <clears throat> when you get to four through seven, now you're seasoned. That's your rank. So every three advancements gets you a new rank. So novice, seasoned, veteran, heroic, and legendary. Those mostly come into play from what I've seen in edges. The edges prerequisites sometimes require you to be veteran or higher to get, get the edge. So, so it's not so much like I'm level one, I'm level two, I'm level three. It's you have advances that then increase your rank which then open up more edges uh, for you. That kind of makes sense. Going back to the removing a hindrance, I can see where, like, <clears throat> let's say you took a minor pacifist and throughout the course of the gameplay, something happened, you didn't go for the kill when you could have, and then the whoever you spared comes back and causes all sorts of trouble, kind of the Batman and Joker dynamic there. I could see it being pretty cool for role play when you level up to be like, okay, you know what? I'm no longer a pacifist. It's time to whoop some ass. Yeah, that's really good point. And so now I'm maybe not as against it as much. I think if I was running this game, I would put a rank requirement on it. Maybe. Like you couldn't remove hindrances until you got to the rank of veteran. So in you know the novice and seasons at the beginning of the game, you got to deal with your hindrances. But then after gaining some skill and some experience, I could see where um, narratively it would make sense that you're now able to overcome some of your hindrances. What do you think, Em? No, I agree. Um, I missed part of it because I was settling down the dogs, but um, <clears throat> I like the the progression of it. Um, and I'm like I said, I missed a little bit in the middle, but John will fill me in later. <laughs> so yeah, every time you advance, you get to do one of those things: increase something, get a new edge, or whatever. Every it, every three advancements, you go up in a rank, and the ranks are: you start off at novice, and then you go seasoned, veteran, heroic, and legendary. Right. And from what I've seen, the, those matter the most in uh, they are often prerequisites for some of the more powerful edges. Like you want to get this edge, you have to be at least a veteran. Yeah, so. I, I, I like that. I mean, because the some of the feats in other game systems, while they are a little more accessible, you don't have to be legendary or anything like that. They also 
it feels like there's a lot of feats that are just kind of useless and they're not very tailor-made to your character. So the fact that you get to add on to your edges or remove a hindrance really helps you show character development, not just so much. I have this magical ability now that I can know the direction and time of day and make the DM really irritated every time I ask about it. Um, so I think that's a really cool way of, of showing kind of the level up system. Yeah, I, I kind of like it too. Um, and I like that. It's, so to me, it reminded me of like spells, right? And this is a ninth level spell, right? Just because I'm a magic user doesn't mean I get to have that spell. I got to build up to a point where I'm strong enough or capable enough to have that thing. So right. having that aspect, but, but spreading it out to a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, and again, so first of all, there are dozens and dozens of uh, hindrances and edges in the core rulebook. But again, guidance on how to create setting-specific guidance, um, session-specific <laughs> hindrances and edges for your setting, right? So you can use that guidance to build those, but... Um, yeah, I guess you really have to start looking at uh, the prerequisite aspect of it. You know, what should be attainable at what level? And, um, so you have to put a little thought into your, your setting development as well. So in a nutshell, there's a lot of stuff we could have gone over, right? Um, right. I believe I even saw in the, the core book some, some rules on... Um, Vehicle chases, which I'm nice. a uh, big fan of chase rules after getting into Call of Cthulhu. So there's that stuff in there. And there's a lot of other nuances that we didn't go over. I just wanted to hit, you know, the general aspect of it. Your skills and your your abilities are based on dice sizes. And the higher the dice size, the more likely you are to successfully do something. Um, you have hindrances and, and edges to build out your character. You go play the game. You roll your dice. The better you are, the higher of dice you got. You, you do stuff. You accomplish things. You kill things. You solve things or whatever. And then you advance and you can get better in your skills or your abilities or get new edges or even get rid of some of your, your hindrances. So overall, I like it core system right they did a pretty good job of giving you those hindrances and edges that and skills that could apply and should apply in any setting and then a smattering of skills edges and hindrances that could apply in like a, a futuristic setting or, or whatever but then they left most of that for the development of those other settings. So I put a link in, in chat to um, Pinnacle Entertainment, which is the, the publisher of, uh, of Savage Worlds. And I, and I think the link I, I sent will take you straight to the different Savage settings, right? Um, right next to the core rules, Deadlands is there. So the Weird West, um, Number three is riffs. 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 So we had a discussion with a guy on a stream not we too did. long ago about riffs, and it sounded cool. I, was like, oh, I had no idea. Now, 
I don't know if Rifts was always a Savage World game or if they took Rifts and applied it to this core set of rules, maybe for simplicity or whatever. But hey, we we heard people talking about Rifts. We're like, that sounds cool. We got to play that sometime. You can do that through through uh, through Savage World. Um, there's one called Power. Power. Uh, an Appalachian apocalypse setting. Oh, that sounds the fun. The apocalypse in the Appalachian mountains. Uh, it's got the cover art is like these miners and a big factory. And yeah. That sounds really cool. I'd be rolling a D12 for play banjo. <laughs> right. This There's ain't a, your part of town, boy. <laughs> you ain't from around here, is you? Uh, there's a superpowers companion if you want yeah. to do a, a, a superhero thing. Uh, East Texas University is a setting, and it's basically from the look of it. <coughs> think uh, Eldritch Horror zombies or whatever attacking college the zombies. Right. College zombies. Pathfinder for Savage Worlds. Um, one uh, Rippers resurrected, and by the look of it, it's like steampunk Victorian England setting. Uh, Flash Gordon. So now you're uh. comics and sci-fi using this core system. The Last Parsec. Uh, Weird Wars, which to me, based on the helmets and the emblems, looks like. World War, World War One, One. Um, but then that uh, what is that a Maltese cross on that tank? Uh, might be World War Two. I don't know. Um, Deadlands Noir. Oh, so basically the Deadlands thing, and they brought it up into the 1920s. There's a gangster leaning up against one of those cool ass cars with his Tommy gun. Um, Deadlands Last Colony, Fear Agent, um, Evernight, Slipstream, 12 to Midnight, Pirates on the Spanish Main. Um, so there are a bunch of settings available. Um, you know, you get the core rules, understand them, and then get one of these settings and you can just start playing using these core rules. Um, I didn't scroll down this far before, but Pirates on the Spanish Main has really uh, made my pants tight. Especially with those vehicle chase rules. Right. Um, I did uh, look up riffs, and apparently the original riffs was a 1990 creation, and it was adapted in 2015 by Pinnacle to use the Savage Worlds kind of uh, engine and they had a Kickstarter actually to fund the conversion of that. So knowing the Savage I'm sorry uh, being now more familiar with the Savage World game system Rifts, which sounded cool but was a little scary. It seems like that's going to be some rules that are just going to be hard to learn, right? When I heard the folks talking about ribs, Emily, I think on that 
in the chat there, you're like, I really want to try riffs. It sounds cool. Yeah, it did. Um, it did, but I was like um, intimidated by it. Right? I was listening to this guy talk about riffs and uh, mind over matter machines and all this other stuff. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool, but I bet it's going to help me learn. Knowing now that there's a there's a setting for Savage Worlds that lets you play riffs, and now having got at least conceptually how Savage World mechanics work, doesn't seem so daunting yeah. anymore. Um, and, you know, like, there's just a dozen or more different settings that you could take and then apply to this. And you go into those games knowing the basics of the mechanics of how it works. I think that's genius. And I can't wait to talk to uh, Paul next week about his uh, Savage World setting uh, set in 1980s synth wave uh Neon lights, Miami intrigue, middle age chest hair, right? Um, and that's uh, Street Wolves, and we're going to be talking with him next week about that. But overall, um, final impressions. Uh, and, and Emily, I wanted to get back to your question. You know, like I'm waiting to see, waiting to decide what I think about when I know about how the settings are all playing. Um. You know, I just listed off quite a few different yeah. settings. Some of them had to have tweaked your, they, your your interests. So, where, where are you at? What do you think? They, some of them did. There was the 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 one about the pirates or the sailors on the Spanish main. I don't know why, but some for some reason that one just really I I, I kind of perked up. I was like, what? Because um, you like bodices. I do, I do, <laughs> and I would dress up for it. Um, no, I'm very interested to try it. Um, like John said, I think that the learning curve may be a little steep because we are very accustomed to the way that we derive skills and how things function and the card deck and the bennies and all that stuff is a little, like I said, it's a little hard for me to retain it. I think playing through it one or two times, I would probably get it and it would understand. Um, but I do like that it seems very, how do I put this, non-denominational. Like D and D, no matter how many times you try to put a new skin on it, it's gonna feel like high high elf fantasy. Like no matter what I do, right? Call Cthulhu, you can put spins on it, but it's gonna feel like nineteen twenties noir suspense thriller kind of thing. Um, so far, you know, I've been trying to kind of ferret out where this sits, you know, aesthetically, and it doesn't seem to have one, which is super cool. Which means that there's all these versions of it that really cover so many areas and so if you learn the base mechanics you can you know john can play a western and and we could do you know something super steampunky you know 19 whatever's for you and then i can go and be hacking space terminals out on a spaceship and you know in a matter of weeks back to back to back all using the same system and i like that um i'm very excited to get a chance to play it um and to roll up a character and deal with the hindrances and the edges and really see how distinctive you can really make your characters because i know we've talked about this before like there are certain things in other rpgs where a rogue is a rogue is a rogue you can skin it different ways but it, it it's a rogue this without classes where it's just hindrances like how starkly different characters are going to feel from one another you know i think that's yep. really interesting so to your desire i have two rules light um scenarios one shots for 
Savage World. One is in the Deadlands, so it's the Western thing. And then we've got the the Jump Start that just came out for Street Wolves, which has a quick scenario in it as well. So uh, now understanding this, I think we could put together a, a little, you know, three or four hours we all spend together and work through one of these one shots. So I'd really like to do that. I would like to do that too. Yes. John thoughts, Savage Worlds and the different settings that can be laid on top of it and the mechanics and just, it's new. It's different. What do you think? It's definitely interesting. I don't want to say I wouldn't want to play it because it's complex, but it is definitely looking at it like, but that's mainly in the combat. I think the combat is a little bit frightening to me. But like Emily said, once we get in and are actually playing, it's probably going to be like riding a bike. Um, the I think the aesthetic of having the cards and the poker chips might be a little odd in some settings, but I'm sure either those settings have their own thing that they do instead or... You just don't think about it. Yeah. So the book will tell you, you know, poker chips or whatever, right? So if you were in a, a sci-fi setting, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. Plasma you know, batteries. Right. Plasma batteries or something like that is, is what you use. That. I do know from looking at the uh, Pinnacle Entertainment site that, um, you know, you can use any deck of cards, but you can also buy the Deadlands um, deck of cards, which has, you know, a really cool look to it. They look like really old cards that you'd see in a Western movie with, uh, you know, whiskey stains on them and blood stains on them. And, and, uh, so aesthetic. Yeah. So I, I suspect that some of the other settings have, um, thematic decks that you could pick up with them, but again, any any deck of cards work as long as you haven't thrown away the Joker show. I also think uh, the price being ten bucks for the base rules is really good. Like a lot of the big hurdles people have to trying a new tabletop RPG is well it's a $50 book or it's a $30 book and having for 10 bucks, you can pick up the PDF is pretty cool. Yeah. I think, uh, I got it on sale from drive through RPG, the core PDF. Uh, and I think I got it for seven 99, but it was normally nine 99. Uh, I do like hardbound. So if we play this in something that we like, I'd probably, you know, fork out the dough and, and get get a hardbound uh, version. I think it was fifty for the hardbound with the PDF, and that doesn't seem quite so bad. It's not like D and D, where if you buy the hardbound book, you're not getting the PDF. You're going to have to buy it again on D and D Beyond, and right. then probably again on Roll Twenty. And right. you know, yeah. Um, think there is some uh, virtual tabletop. Uh, applications for this as well. I remember seeing um, uh, what is it? 
not roll 20, but the other one that they were Foundry. Foundry. I think it was Foundry that they were more aligned with. But, uh, I just want to know if you guys remember when we first started using roll 20 and John somehow managed to pull out a deck of cards on the side of the thing and could never get them to come off. Now you'd actually be able to use them. I right. thought of that like way earlier, but I didn't have a good segue into it, but now I do. That might actually be what those are supposed to be used for. It might be. <laughs> uh, and just a quick update. I got an email from the AKC. This is, in fact, Macmillan, a.k.a. Big Mac's first birthday, according to the AKC. So just so you know, it's been confirmed. And his official name with the American Kennel Club is? Macmillan. <laughs> Macmillan. Macmillan. Uh, we so don't Mac ever call him that. <laughs> so you're going to have to get him a spouse. Back in the 70s, there was this great... Uh, husband and wife detective show called Macmillan and Wife. Um, yeah. We normally call him McAdoo. McAdoo. Big Mac. Big Mac, McAdoodle. He has like a thousand nicknames, but I'm pretty sure he's gay. So. Okay, well. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, so, We're inclusive. Um, chat uh, did point out uh, C. Honado, Chonadel, I believe we determined it was uh, the right pronunciation. Chonadel. Chonadel. Y'all are so um, disrespectful. But, uh, you know, that is uh, what she put in there. She phonetically sounded it out as Chonadel. She did. There is a record of that on the interwebs. Um, he could bring receipts. But she says, Dolly Parton going to kick some ass or high heels and hair. Right. So in the uh, Deadlands game uh, that I watched uh, on uh, YouTube, there is a, uh, a character set of characters in it that are based on like um, saloon singers, saloon girls, and it's pretty cool. So you can do anything with it. And you've got an official happy birthday for Mac from uh, Hannah and whole not out there. So, Yay. Um, I'm going to play go. Jolene. So, hey, I enjoyed talking about this tonight. I think the one thing I really like about it is, you know, in order to talk about it, I had to learn a little bit more about it. And, you know, I I skimmed over it all and looked at it and thought, hey, this is a cool system. I've watched it being played and wanted to be interested in it. But prepping for tonight and, and really getting into it, I'm more excited than ever for one to play some of this, but two to 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 talk about uh, Street Wolves next week with uh, Table Cat Games when they come on to tell us about their new jump start. So y'all join us next Monday night from six to eight as we actually take a look at a setting that was done by a, an indie creator, uh, and he, he says it's really easy to become a uh, Savage Worlds licensee, right? So that means he gets to sell his game with the Savage World emblem on it and, and whatnot and, and, and put it out there. So uh, if you like content creating and world building, I think Savage Worlds could be a great core system for you to express your creativity. And we'll talk to, to Paul about that next week. Uh, closing thoughts, John. I would like to note that it is currently, I believe, pay what you want on DriveThruRPG, and on his itch, it is part of the Ukraine bundle that they have going on there. So if you are 
like me and kind of an 80s kid and you've raised your six-year-old to really enjoy the classics of the era like i think we're alone now and unskinny bop then maybe you don't need us to talk about it you can go on over there hit it up right now it's called street wolves it's spanking new and it's worth a nice little checkout it's also available on drive through rpg um did you already say that one drive through rpg i think i noted in the beginning yeah, i'm not sure do. if it's pay what you want or that's my understanding um and also on it and you can also go directly to his website so just search for table cat games or street wolves i'm sure you'll find it but uh yeah if you are bad at google and need help finding it hit us up on our twitter we will make sure to hit you a link to it emily closing thoughts um i'm very excited about this game system i am super stoked about next week and getting to talk to him about his system and um really just getting to dive into his uh, his world and what it is because like I said that's a really big piece for me of game systems is like the pieces so I'm really excited to get to hear about what it is and I am not an 80s child because I am not ancient and therefore I don't know anything about the 80s except for weird hair and neon colors so I'm excited Alright so I'm not a child of the 80s I'm a young adult of the 80s turned 18 early in the 80s Technically you're a father of the 80s <laughs> That is true but uh, I can tell you from my current vantage point, I miss the crazy hair. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're a little biased. <laughs> yeah. And um, you would look so bitching with a mullet. Dude, I've got pictures somewhere. <laughs> I'm hey, sure thanks, everybody, for joining us. We are Percentile Vice. You can find us on Twitter at Percentile Vice. You can find me on Twitter. At Rick Stevens PI. Uh, John is uh, Bobby37. Did I say that right, John? You did. Uh, and Emily, you won't find her personally on Twitter, but she's all over our pers uh, percentile vice account on Twitter. So that's how you can hook up with us. You can also catch this and other uh, streams video on demand on YouTube, usually two or three days after we do them, but we got a whole bunch of other stuff. Live plays on Thursday. We'll be getting back to Call of Cthulhu on Thursday at 6 to 8. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you later. Bye. Had a good time. Bye. 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 Keep, Bye. Waving, Keep waving until John cuts. So there it goes. <laughs>